Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, today's a big day in the calendar. It's Rosh Chodesh Elul. And um, this is the day that uh, Moshe, Moses went up to, to Har Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and received the second, tab- the second tablets, the second luchos. So remember, the first ones were smashed uh, after the incident of the golden calf. And then Moshe prays another 40 days on Mount Sinai. And at the end of those 40 days, um, God says, go ahead and come back up and, and uh, I'm going to give you the tablets all over again. And they said the same thing as the first, as the first tablets. So um, it was really a sign of, of divine favor, of, a sign of divine forgiveness. And Moshe then comes down 40 days from now, which is Yom Kippur. So now we're on this fast track, basically, starting with Rosh Chodesh Elul. We're on the express train right now to Yom Kippur. And there will be an amazing stop along the way, which is called Rosh Hashanah. And it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing period in the calendar. And we're going to go more deeply into it. Just, some, some, just a very, very deep Torah about um, the nature of Elul um, from the Bnei Yisachar. We'll get to that. But I want to just begin by just telling you a personal experience, something that happened to me this week that I want to share with you. So I, I, um, I took a trip to Mexico City this week, and I was there, I guess, for two nights in a day. And this trip was actually planned um, for maybe, I don't know, maybe about a month and a half ago. And it got delayed. So, so that's meaningful. I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, it, it's meaningful. I guess that was a moment. That was exactly a moment, by the way. So, so it was meaningful because during that period when, when the trip was supposed to take place, and then when the trip actually did take place, um, someone did some excavating in some boxes uh, in our garage or outside the garage, whatever it is, and I came into the kitchen um, before the trip to Mexico, and there was a Ziploc bag, a large bag, um, you know, like one of these gallon-sized Ziploc bags, like the really big ones. And it was filled with passports, old passports. And these had been, um, these were from my, uh, my mother and father, uh, it should rest in peace. These were their passports over their lifetime. And I think um, maybe, I didn't really go through them, but I think maybe even there, there were a couple of passports in there from my grandparents as well. And I haven't had time to really sit down with it, but, but I'd like to because you could see what countries they went to. My parents traveled all around the world uh, on a regular basis. So the different countries and the dates and things like that, you could really you know, make a, a very interesting sort of like picture of their life or their travels anyway. Um, now, there was one other thing in this bag of passports. And just let's just... Think about this for a moment, just as we say, what are the odds, right? There's one other thing in this bag of passports, and there must have been a good, I don't know, 10, 15 passports in here. And that was um, pesos, <laughs> which of course is the Mexican currency. And here I, it was found a, a couple of days, a few days before my trip to Mexico, which had been delayed, right? Because before, not the case. So it's, you know, it's kind of beyond. And also, I don't know, just the visual. You have to understand the visual of it because these Ziploc Ziploc bags are clear. So, you know, there's total transparency. So it's not like kind of like a box. Like there's a, not that this matters so much, but just, it just was even more striking is what I'm trying to tell you, the visual of it. It was not just a box where it's like, oh, they're passports, and oh, there's something down here also. What is that? That's pesos. No, no, no. It was just clear window, just <laughs> passports and pesos. That's it. Um, so the, the, the bills were at least, I would say, probably 20 years old. They may have been older. I don't know. And I didn't know if they were still good or not. Because countries, especially, um, you know, countries with developing economies, periodically they'll revalue their currency 
And sometimes they'll issue brand new currency, and then the old currency is no good anymore. So I didn't know if that was the case here, whether they were still um, uh, legal tender or not. Um, just take a one moment just to focus on a different part of this. You know, the, one of the great stories that Reb Shlomo Karlovach tells, and I, I really, really recommend it. You can look it up online. It's a... Uh, Maybe, maybe my favorite story, I don't know. It's called The Mooncatcher Passport. And I won't go into the story. Just uh, try, to, try to find it if you can. And it's awesome. But he talks about just the, the poetry, if you will, or the symbolism of going from this world to the next world. That you need a, you need a holy passport, basically. So the idea that, that these pesos, they weren't just from my parents, but accompanying this passport, in other words, this sort of transition from one world to the next, almost as though they're coming back from the next world with their passport, so to speak, right? To deliver something for the trip. So when I got to the airport, I wanted to get more pesos. I didn't even know if these pesos were any good. So I went to the currency exchange place, and I showed them the, the pesos, the, the bills, and I asked them, are these still good? And the person looked at it and they said, yeah, those are still good. I said, okay, great. So I got, you know, I don't know, some spending money in pesos, and I kind of put them together in my pocket, and, and I got a, aboard the flight. So, you know, you go to a foreign country, and you, you want to scope out, like, where are you going to eat, right? Like, what are, the, what are the restaurants and everything like that? So um, my wife sent my my hotel location to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, my, my wife's sister married someone who lives in Mexico City, so we have family in Mexico City. And my, my brother-in-law there is a member of the, the, the Kolel Jewish community there. And so, and he's a very, very fine, very, very fine person. And he, my wife wrote back, where's the nearest restaurant? And he wrote back, I'll tell you the nearest restaurant for his soul, and wrote down the closest minion that had shachras. <laughs> so in other words, he said, you didn't ask me, you didn't ask me where the closest shul was, but that's the question I'm going to answer. So he told me the name of the, the shul and, and what time the, the morning service starts. And so, good. I was really planning on going anyway, to be honest. But, but anyway, now I had the address and the information, so that was good. So I woke up early the next morning, and I went to this, uh, this shul. And, you know, everybody knows this who's uh, kind of familiar with these things. But, so I know I'm not telling you anything new right now, but it's just good to say again. It's so beautiful to be able to walk into a, a completely foreign country where possibly no one will understand a word of the language that you speak and there's the exact same service that you know being conducted in Hebrew. From the same prayer book, the same order of prayers, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's fantastic. You're at, wherever you go around the world, you're at home. It's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. So I'm at the Minyan. And I'm davening, you know, and it's just a regular davening. You're just, you know, in a different part of the planet. But, and then someone comes by at this point in the service with, um, to collect sadaka, right, to, for, for charity with a, with a plate. And then all of a sudden I realized I have my parents' pesos. And so I reach into my pocket and they're still good. And I take the pesos from, from them and I give it to tzedakah in this, in this Torah shul, in this Orthodox shul in, in Mexico City. And it, it blew my mind, you know, because you have to understand, I didn't give the equivalent of the money that I had found. I gave their exact bills which they held in their hands from maybe 20 years ago, maybe a little less, maybe more. And then 
something happened that I didn't even realize the meaning of until a little bit later. I, I got an aliyah. They, I'm, an, I'm a levy, so he, he asked me, the person, the gabai, the one who gives out the aliyahs, asked me, are you a coin? Right? I said, no, I'm a, I'm a levy. He said, oh! He said, the, the rabbi's a, the levy and he's, he, that's, he's already got that aliyah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't trying to cause trouble, you know. <laughs> he had actually just returned back from a trip and he had to bench Gomel, so really he, he needed that aliyah and all the rest, but I wasn't trying to make problems, you know. So sometimes, just some, uh, some shul etiquette, just in case you're ever a gaba and you don't know this, if you offer someone an aliyah, like for instance a levy, and levies can only get, and kahanim also, can only get certain aliyahs, so sometimes it gets complicated, if you offer it to them, and they, and for whatever reason you can't give it to them, then you can give them hagba or galila, which is the raising of the Torah or the wrapping of the Torah. So most shuls, or people who know this, which is most places, they'll come back to you and they'll give you that aliyah. A way of fitting you in, and then that way they didn't offer you something that they weren't able to give you. So it kind of works out, but he didn't say anything to me about getting one of those later aliyahs. So I thought, okay, may, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. So then after the Torah finished reading, he comes up to me and he says, um, go do glila, which is the wrapping up of the Torah. So I was happy to get an aliyah, and I actually like that aliyah a lot. And here's the point. So I heard from Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, he says that Glila, the, ra- the, the, the wrapping up of the Torah, that's a special blessing for finishing projects. It's a segula for, for basically, think about it, it's, if, to say it another way, it's a segula for closure. Right? Because that's what you're doing. You're closing the Torah. So, what did I just do? I just completed a mitzvah for my parents that was pending, that was hovering in the, in the, in the universe for maybe a couple of decades, and then here I was given, and, you know, they would have given me Levi, is, is the point, you know, if there wasn't this special circumstance. But here I, Davka, Mamish got the specific spiritual key, so to speak, that was, that was most relevant at that moment, which was completing the process, which is what I did. So let's go a little deeper. So, the Ishvitzer Rebbe says, I heard this from Rav Shlomo, the Ishvitzer Rebbe says that the very last mitzvah that Moshe gives in the Torah, so the last mitzvah in the Torah is the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. Right? So everyone has this mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah, but you can fulfill that mitzvah in different ways. One, you can buy a Sefer Torah. It's pretty expensive. You can buy just Sfarim, just Jewish Torah books. Can fulfill, fulfill the mitzvah that way. Different ways of fulfilling that mitzvah. But actually, if you look in the Torah, Moshe doesn't actually say over that mitzvah. That, I guess, is the 613th mitzvah. So what's the last mitzvah that Moshe says over? That would be, I guess, the 612th mitzvah, as far as I can tell. That's the mitzvah of Hakel. For sure, that's the last one he says over. Whether it's the 612th, I'm just speculating. But but the point is, is that the very last mitzvah that Moshe says over is in fact the mitzvah of Hakel. What is that mitzvah? That mitzvah is that once every Shemitah cycle, so that's like in the, every seven years, but I think this was in the eighth year actually, the king of Israel would read the last book of the Torah before everyone at the Beis HaMikdash. It was um, Sefer Devar, right? The last book of the Torah, Deuteronomy which is the recapitulation of the Torah, the summary of the whole Torah. And then the, there's one more detail that says that all the parents should bring their young children, if they have babies, they should bring their babies in their hands. Right? So it's, it's interesting. And that's the last mitzvah that Moshe says over, this idea of bringing over your children in, in your hands. And the Ishbitzer says something the imagery always really stayed with me. And um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying over the fullness over it, but just maybe just a little piece of it, which is that children can, children are an extension of the parent's hand. And if you think about this, it's, it actually gets kind of trippy because they're an extension of the, of the, of the parent's hand through time and space, right? Meaning to say, just to give an example, just so you understand what I'm saying, let's say I tell you, can you please move that, can you please put that dollar in the tzedakah box 50 years from now? <laughs> well, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'll be here 50 years from now. But my child is an extension of my hand. And my child reaches and takes that money and puts it in the box. And that's an extension of my hand reaching. So through time and space, the child continues to reach in the direction that the parent reached. And the child can also rectify the root of the parent. With our mitzvot, with our, with our adherence to Shabbos and kashrus and tefillin and Shabbos candles and things like this, even if our parents didn't necessarily do these things, we can not only rectify our souls, but we can actually rectify their souls as well. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. And, and I just had a, a taste of it with this experience in Mexico City. So, let me take it one step further. You see, there's a, there's a special blessing that we say, and for various reasons, people don't do it as much today because of email and phone calls and things like that. You'll understand what I mean in a moment. But if you haven't seen someone for a year, Right? And today it would be a little bit stricter. It would have to be you haven't seen them or communicated with them at all. Okay? So that would mean probably no emails or phone calls. Right? And you see them again. You can actually say, and you should ask a Rav about this to get all the fine points of the halacha, but I'm giving you the basic shape of it right now. <clears throat> you can actually say, upon seeing them after a year of zero contact with them, you can say the blessing of Shehechianu over them. You know, which is, so that's the, the blessing of thanking God for allowing me to reach this point of time. And we say this blessing, this is a special blessing that we say um, when we reach a new holiday, or if we, ha- if we eat a fruit that we haven't eaten in a year, or if we acquire some grand acquisition. Like, so for instance, like you wouldn't say Shekhyano on a pair of socks, but if you buy like a, like a new suit, like for, like Rosh Hashanah is coming up, so a lot of people will be buying a new suit or something like that. If you buy a new suit, then that's a significant purchase. You can say Shekhyano when you put it on for the first time. Um, it gets more complicated, and again, you have to ask the, a, a rabbi about the details on this if you say we're to buy a car or something like that. Like, like maybe you could, but if it's leased, if you're just leasing it from the bank or something like that, then it gets starts to get more complicated. So you you have to ask someone who knows better. But but for a major purchase, you do it also. But now let's return back to this point. For a friend who you haven't seen in a year, right? Someone you haven't seen in a year, you can actually say a shachianu. That wow, you know, here it is. Now. Back in the day, people took, you know, boat rides or traveled by ship and there were, you know, sunken ships were pretty common. So, you know, if you didn't see anyone for a protective period of time, you didn't know whether you were ever seeing them again. Right? So, so the, the idea of seeing them again was worthy of a blessing. The rabbis considered that worthy of a blessing. Now it gets more interesting. You ready for this? So as I learned the halacha, it's, it's, it astounds me, this idea. If you see someone before Rosh Hashanah, and again, you have to ask a Rav about whether we would actually do this in practice today, but at least on the books, this is, this is the case, okay? 
If you see someone the day before Rosh Hashanah, and you see them the day after Rosh Hashanah, you could actually make this blessing of Shehachianu on seeing them again. Why? Because basically the world ends at the end of the year. The world ends. And then God for Rosh Hashanah makes a brand new world. And if you're around for Rosh Hashanah, that means that you got inscribed in the Book of Life. For the whole year? I don't know. But but significantly so that you made it to Rosh Hashanah, that means you made it into the new world. So as such, there was no guarantee that you'd see anyone again, really, or that anyone would see you again. And so even though now we're not talking about a year, now we're talking about theoretically a day, right? Shows you how awesome, just how absolutely awesome it is just to live a moment at a time, really. Because that's kind of the reality. We mark the occasion at Rosh Hashanah. But this, what I'm saying, is, is also really true on a moment-to-moment basis, too. But on, on, in terms of the Shekhyanu, before Rosh Hashanah and after Rosh Hashanah, you can make a Shekhyanu. Again, I don't know if this is the minig today, the custom today to do such a thing, check with the Rav, but at least this is on the books. So the, the, the idea of it itself is astounding enough. But now I want to finish the point, because we're not done with the pesos yet. And we're not done with the Ishvitzer thought yet, which is the idea that you are the continuation of your parents' hands, right? And rectifying their root. You see what it is? From one Rosh Hashanah to the other Rosh Hashanah, do you see that you're your own rectification? Do you see that you are the next embodiment of yourself? You, you yourself, from one year to the next year, you yourself are the next generation of you. Now that's an amazing thought, because it's just like, I just thought I'm just me, and I'm still me, and I'm more of me, and I'm so bored of being me. <laughs> Here I am, still me. You know? And yet, that's actually not really what's happening. There's this new incarnation of you, right? But you have to have the eyes to see it. And then this new you has the ability to actually take up and finish up what the old you hasn't done yet. And to rectify the soul. I mean, who wants to rectify your soul more than you? I mean, that if I could do it, and I actually can do it? Wow. What would be a more worthy, you know, way to spend my energy than that? So... So we need, we, need, we need these eyes, these holy eyes, to see who we are, what we are, who we're about to become. See, the, there's so much emphasis on tshuva when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Elul, and it's, it's appropriate. It's appropriate because we need... We really do need it. However, there's a great disservice that's also done, which is that, which is that it so puts m- almost all of us in this mindset of exploring our past and dwelling in our past that we're not sufficiently aware that what's, what we have is this opportunity for the future. And really, this new year is really about the future, what we're going to do and what we can do and what, what God is giving us the strength to do. And you see this reflected in, 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 in just this, this great way, which is, and now let's go into Elul a little bit, okay? You see, 
every single month has a different aspect that needs to be fixed. So we're, we're leaving Av right now. Av is, is hearing. And we're going into Elul now. Elul, very significantly, you know what aspect needs to be fixed, says the Sefer Yetzirah? Action. It, it becomes about actually doing it. Actually doing it. It's not talk anymore. It's now the actual performance. And that's the most powerful thing in all of Judaism. Because Kabbalistically speaking, there are four worlds, which are not four separate entities, but they're just different spiritual stratifications, one continuum of, of the universe. And it goes from progressively more spiritual down to more material, but it's one spectrum. And the Kabbalists divide it into four major milestones, four major benchmarks, and we call those the four worlds. And this bottom world, the most material world where we dwell, this is called Olamasiya, the world of action. So significantly, Elul is the month of action. Now why? Why would so it's so it's like really if you think about it, it's all about Elul. Okay? So why Elul? What's going on in Elul? So now let's go a little bit deeper. And I want to tell you a Torah from the B'nai Sashar. And I'll tell you something. I, I saw this, you know, maybe two or three times over the last, I don't know, couple of years. And it just, it just completely bounced off my head. And I thought it just was like, um, it was so esoteric that I was just like thinking, what is he doing? What is he doing? Like, I just, I don't even begin to get it. Like, forget about the point. I sort of get the point, maybe. But the methodology, I'm not even getting the methodology at all. Okay, and then yesterday, it was sort of like, blink, okay. At least I think I've got a feel of what's going on. All right, so let me just tell you my, my understanding of it anyway. And once I got what, what I thought it was saying anyway, I was like, whoa, this is so deep, you know? The same Torah, which was like almost making me mad, right? I realized, wow, this is awesome. Okay, so, so, so the B'nai Asaskar points out, everybody knows that every month has a tribe that's assigned to it. So what tribe is assigned to the month of Elul? So it's the tribe of Gad, right? Or God, you would say, also in Hebrew, whatever. But, but you don't hear much about Gad. And he's, he's uh, one of the later sons of Leah, right? And just, he hardly comes up, really. And a, another sort of interesting thing, well, let's hold off on that. Well, I'll just say it briefly, but I won't go into an explanation of it, is that in terms of the arrangement of the tribes as they march through the desert, remember, in the desert encampment, the Mishkan, right, the, the holy tabernacle was in the middle of the encampment, and then on all sides of it, on all four sides of it, you had groups of three tribes. So in, the, so, so in one encampment, you had Ruvain, Shimon, those are the first two born, the first born, Ruvain, second born in Shimon, and then you had Gad. <laughs> What's Gad doing in with Reuven and Shimon? Okay, so, all right, it's, that in itself is just like a whole topic of Torah conversation. So, so Rabbi Wolfson mentions that, that Eliyahu Hanavi, right, Elijah who, who announces Mashiach, there's one tradition that he's from the tribe of Gad, Right? Because we say Eliyahu Hagiladi. Gilad is Gad. So, okay, so that's the beginning of a clue, but we're not going to go down that path right now. Just to tell you that there's something curious about Gad being assigned to Elul. We'll just leave it at that for now. So, so the B'nai Asasfar goes into the dynamics of the letters of Gad, and also every month has a, one letter which is assigned to it, okay? So the letter that's assigned to Elul is the letter Yud, which again is, is very significant because the Yud is the first letter of, of Hashem's holiest name. 
It's also the most spiritual letter. It's the only letter that floats. It's the only letter that doesn't touch the, the bottom line. You know? And I, I, it occurred to me last year that there's only one holiday from the Torah that begins with the letter Yud. That's Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur were like angels. Right? So that's the, you know, you feel the Yud in it, you know? So, 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 so the B'nai Saskar is going to show you a very fascinating um, uh, dynamic between Gad and the letters of Gad and the letter of the month Yud. Okay, so that's, these are sort of our ingredients for the thought, right? So we've got them on the table. So now let's hear the thought. So Gad is spelled Gimel Dalit. Now, everybody knows in the Aleph base, it goes Aleph base, Gimel Dalit, right? They're consecutive letters. So now let me tell you what the Talmud says, and I'm going to sort of act this out, but if you're listening to the Santep, you sort of, you sort of have to picture it. So you have to picture the letter Gimel. It's facing in one direction, right? So it's, here's, here's the Gimel, and it's got its leg forward in one direction, right? And so it stands for, um, it stands for the phrase, this Gimel and Dalit, the Talmud says, stands for Gimel Dalim, which is sort of like a variant of gimilut chasadim, that's a more common phrase, which is giving over to the poor or, or doing acts of kindness. Now the Dalit, you have to picture the Dalit after the Gimel, the Dalit is facing forward, so it actually has its back to the Gimel, right? Because it's embarrassed, because it's accepting charity, so to speak, from the Gimel, so it's a little bit embarrassed, so it has its back to the Gimel. That's the imagery that the Talmud offers us. Okay. But here you see this dynamic of a divine flow. That's the point. The point is, is that kindness, chesed, is flowing into the world from the one who has to the one who doesn't have. Now, now listen, just again, the methodology of this is just so intense. The B'nai Asaskar says, add up the letters of Gad, which is this divine flow. Now just, so, so, so Gimel and Dalit, right, adds up to seven, because that's three plus four is seven. And he says, now multiply it by the letter of the month, the Yud. And we're going to explain this in a moment. Multiply the seven, the Gimel and the Dalit, by the Yud. So what do you get? You get 70, right? 3 plus 4 is 7, times 10 for Yud. That adds up to 70. 70 adds up to, he says, the letter Ayin. Ayin is 70. And he says, Ayin stands for Olam, which is world. So there's the teaching. (laughs) So, so, I was like, what? <laughs> what, are you, what, are, what are you doing to me? <laughs> like, like I, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you're adding up Gad, and you're multiplying it times 10, and you're giving me an iron and telling me that's Olam? What? So, so now let me just try to tell you how I understand it. So, so basically, we, we talked about it at length last week, and, and if you're interested in this topic, I, I recommend that you hear the talk, um, which is basically the idea that we're birthing the next year. And I called the talk Giving Birth to the New Year, if you, if you want to hear it. But basically, all the Torahs that I'm coming across for Elul are, are, are kind of all pointing in this direction. So I think that the, the, the rabbis are really trying to get this idea across to us. Remember, every month also have, has what we call a mazel, which means um, it would be translated as a zodiac sign. And this is in the Torah system. So in, 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 in Torah, the zodiac sign for, for um, Elul is the besula, is the virgin. 
but but more even more important than that, it's it's the woman basically, also the virgin because all of us sort of re- rediscover and recover our inner purity in this month. That's the that's the idea of that, but but it's the idea that that right before the new year, which is a new entity, which is a new creation, it's a new birth, it's very appropriate that the month right beforehand would be the woman who gives birth. Right? So, so we're, talking about, we're talking about this amazing flow that's happening during Elul. Right? Now remember, just in terms of like, if you were to sort of like design like this, this electronic system like this, what would be like the ultimate sort of receiving tower for Elul? Like if you were to design sort of like this, this, this amazing spiritual electronic tower, you know what it would be? It would be the Jewish people are at Mount Sinai and Moses is on top of the mountain. I mean, talk about like, sort of like a lightning rod for Kedusha, for holiness, for divine flow, you're not going to do better than that. And that is, that is what the dynamic of Elul is right now. Right now, Moshe Rabbeinu is right on top of Har Sinai with the tablets, with the luchos, and the Jewish people are surrounding the mountain. And this flow is coming down. And this is Gad. This is the Gimel giving over to the Dalit. Because who are we? We're, we're, we're the impoverished people. We're waiting for God to give us back the Torah, to give us back forgiveness, to give us our lives. And right now, this divine flow, this Gimel, this Gimilut, right? It's coming down into the world. And that's the dynamic of Elul. This is what I think the, the B'nai Asaskar is saying. This flow is happening right now. Now, now, but it's deeper than that. Because it's not just that the, the letter of this month is Yud. So we're going to multiply something by 10. There are 10 spherot. When God made the world, He put it through these channels of the 10 spherot. This is the creation of the world. This divine light is coming in and through Tzimtzum, through the Ten Sfirot, it's coming to create what? The world! Olam Ayin! The world! So what he's done is he's stripped it down and he's giving you this unbelievable Kabbalistic shorthand for the creation of the world that's taking place. So you say to me, well, wait a second, isn't the world created on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? Yes and no. Yes and no. Rosh Hashanah, everybody knows, really, is the sixth day of creation. That's when human beings were created, which is the purpose of creation. So we celebrate that because that's tachlis. We're very practical. Sort of like, okay, it starts when we got here. We've got to, that's at least got to be our point of view because we have to take responsibility for being alive and what we're going to do in the world. So we celebrated on the, on the sixth day but when was the world actually created? On the 25th day of Elul, this month. The world was created this month. So what could be more appropriate than Gimel plus Dalit times Yud equals Ayat? <laughs> That's what he's saying. Think. Right? It's telling you that 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 here we have a blueprint for creation. But we're also, remember, we're also conceiving the world that's about to come. That's why action is so important. Now I want to tell you a story, which is, I don't think I mentioned it to you last week. Did I tell you about the, the, the wrapping, the gift wrapping? No, I don't think so. so. So I'll tell you now. So my wife was having a big birthday coming up, right? And I really I didn't, I don't know, I, whatever it was, I just really didn't have anything, you know? And it was really important. It was an important birthday. I had to have something, right? Or a few things. And, you know, the type of things that I wanted, I think, would have just taken too long, and I just didn't have any good ideas. But I, I got several things that were 
nice presents, but they weren't necessarily commensurate for the for the importance of that that landmark birthday, right? So, so I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And I remembered there's a store in the neighborhood that they're expert, expert gift wrappers. <laughs> and they actually charge, like, you know, it's not cheap. I mean, it's cheaper than the presents, <laughs> but it's, it's not cheap. But you walk into this store, by the way, it's called Paper Source, highly recommended. You walk in, it's like a museum of wrapping paper. You can't even believe it. I mean, like the wrapping paper looks like it could be wallpaper. Like it's, it's like, it looks like art. The, the wrapping paper itself looks like art. And then the way they, they've got these work tables and, you know, it would, it's not quite origami, you know, because that's folding things into shape. But if you can imagine the, the skill that it, it takes to do origami, that's how good they are at wrapping presents and putting bows on, right? So I went and I got these three boxes gift wrapped at this place, each with a different wrapping paper and then all bundled together. And when I presented the presents, they, they, I, I already won. <laughs> she looked at the gift wrapping and she was like, thank you so much, this is so fantastic and everything like that. All right, so I, the presents were okay, but in terms of it's a big birthday, you know, you gotta get past the big birthday level of expectation. I, I, got, I got past the security guard at that, at that little crucial juncture, you know? And, and so why am I telling you this story? Because, you see, God is giving us this very, very special opportunity with Elul. It's an amazing opportunity. Which is, you know, you, the last day of the year... If you imagine like each day of the year is another layer, each layer is a layer on top of the previous layer. Each day is a new layer on top of the previous days. So now this month of Elul, you have a chance to put a gift wrapping on your year, right? And to present your year in the most beautiful way. And then God says, oh, this is who you are? This is who you are. And we said it even more deeply last week, that this is actually the time of conception. That's sort of like, you know, if you want to get a little more, you know, biological about it, that the, that the, 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 the fetus, if you will, of the year itself is actually growing right now. The actual year itself is growing right now. Because God is looking at your actions. Okay, who are you right now? Right? And then I'm going to customize a year for the you right now. Because that's who you are. You're whoever you are right now. But you're able to, over the course of the month, give it a little bit more oomph, right? Because, you know, if you're that person for one day, it's meaningful. It's definitely meaningful. But if you're that person for a week, or two weeks, or three weeks, then there's already some oomph behind it, some firepower behind it. And that holds a lot of weight in heaven. So, hey, how are you? Hi, hi. So, maybe we'll do uh, one more teaching. Yeah. And um, this is uh, Parshas Re'eh. And Re'eh is, has, Reb Shlomo was talking about it, an amazing dynamic here. Because Re'eh, I'll read you the first Pasuk. Re'eh anochi nosein lefneichem hayom brachol klala. Right, a very famous passage in the Torah. See, I present to you today a blessing and a curse. And then God goes on to say, choose the blessing. Right? So, so, the rabbis point out something very, very interesting. The word see, the first word, re'e, is in the singular. And then it says, re'e anochi, see that I am putting before you. Lefneichem is in the plural. So first God is talking to us in the singular. 
And then he switches sort of constructs, and all of a sudden now he's talking to us in the plural as a group. So what is this interdynamic between the first person and the plural that's taking place within this within just a couple of words within this verse? So, so Anochi can be translated as I, right? Like just I. But it can also be translated as when God speaks, God refers to himself as Anochi. Like the very first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. So God refers to himself as Anochi, I. But I can also mean you or me. Okay? So, so Reb Shlomo says something very, very interesting. He says, you know, the first thing that a person has to figure out, or if a person wants to realize the blessing that's being put in front of us, and to avoid the curses that are being put in front of us, that a person has to realize who they are. That's, that's why it says, Re'e see the eye, see who you are. And when you see who you are, then you're be- better able to become part of the plural, the lefnechem, the community, and find out what your role in the community is. But you have to also understand that that anochi, that I, is composed of two parts. If you want to know who you are, there's the, there's the individual, that's you, but you have to also understand that you're part of this greater whole, which is called the community. And there's this interplay in terms of your, your own identity. If you want to realize the fullness of yourself between who you are individually and what role you play as part of the community. There are two aspects of a person. So one of the things, uh, to, 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 to see this dynamic in a different way, I heard Rabbi Shlomo ask this question one time. We know that um, when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, it says that just not just the people who were alive were there, but every soul, every Jewish soul, and everyone who was ever to convert to Judaism, their souls were also present at the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So everyone was here. You and I were here. We were all here. And in fact, they talk about if you ever meet someone who you feel as though you have a very strong rapport with, but you just met them and you don't understand, how could it be we have such a strong rapport? We just met? You know, there's one idea that you were standing next to them at Mount Sinai. Right? In fact, there's a dating site called Saw You at Sinai. Right? Which is, which is drawing on this teaching. So, so then the Gomorrah says in another place that while we're inside of our mother's womb, an angel comes and teaches us the entire Torah. And then when we're born... It touches us on the lip, right? Just above the lip, that's where we get this mark. And then we forget it. So the process of learning Torah in this lifetime is actually not so much a process of learning, but remembering. But Reb Shlomo asks an interesting question. He says, if we already got the Torah at Mount Sinai, why do you have to learn it again in your mother's womb? You hear the question? Very interesting question. If you were at Mount Sinai, you already got the Torah. Why do you have to hear it again in your mother's womb for So he says that there's two aspects to a person. There's the national mission, what we have to do as a nation. That you learned at Mount Sinai. But what you have to do individually in your life, that you learn in your mother's womb. Your own personal mission in this world. And both of them are inexorably intertwined. And then, once you're able to to get both of those aspects who you are individually and how you fit into the community, then you're able to understand another aspect of the Anochi, of the eye of Hashem. Because at that point, you realize how you fit into God's grander plan. Because you understand your personal destiny as filtered through our national destiny. And vice versa. And now you get, start to get a broader, sort of more cosmic view of God and what we need to accomplish. So, I'm just going to wrap it up right now. You know, just to, just to bring it back to this teaching, I mentioned that 
that I, I was taking a trip to Mexico this week, and right before I took this trip to Mexico, I found a bag of passports, old passports from my parents who aren't in this world anymore. And in that bag, there was only one other thing, which was pesos. And I was just about to take a trip to Mexico. A trip that had been delayed, right? Because I guess the bag of passports hadn't been found yet. So this passport, so to speak, you know, one world to the other. So I took the pesos, and, and I was actually, it's a longer story, but I was actually able to give it to charity in a shul in Mexico City. Their exact currency, right? So we talk about how our hand can reach where our parents' hand can't reach, right? If they're not in this world anymore. How we can be a continuation of them, but how on an even deeper level, when the new year comes, when Rosh Hashanah comes, we become a new incarnation and we become an extension of our own selves. We're the new version of ourselves. And you're now able to rectify and fix what the old you from the previous year couldn't do. Now you can be the extension to actually fix yourself. So I just leave you with one last bit of imagery. Like, you know, imagine you've got a favorite piece of software and you get a little update and it says, oh, we've got all these new updates for your program, right? And it lists all the new updates. And it's free. <laughs> all you have to do is press update and you download like all of these new improvements. So right now, the update button is appearing <laughs> on your screen, right? On your soul. There's this new update. And you know what? You get to decide on what you download. <laughs> it's up to you. It's incredible. It's up to you. You want to be nicer? Just hit update. <laughs> you want to smile more? You want to be more charitable? Right? More mitzvahs, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, I always wondered about tefillin. What, what's that like, you know? You just hit update, right? There it is. Um, so so it, it's exciting. It's exciting. God, God is challenging us to look at our own lives as, as a piece of art and to, to make them beautiful. And then he just gives us whatever tools we need in order to do that. So let's make more beautiful us's and by extension a more beautiful world and to reveal really the oneness of God.